Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome to episode 17 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. Today is February 23rd, Thursday. We'll release this next Wednesday, so just to timestamp that. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about three primary items. Earnings. It's earnings season, and Q4 earnings are rolling in. So we've got some interesting data that we'd like to share with listeners there, some of which you may have caught in the news, um, some of which you may have not. And the Federal Reserve came out and raised interest rates one more time by 0.25%, 0.25%, quarter of a percent. And then there's also been some media on now we're in a what's called a no landing scenario. So like hard landing, soft landing, no landing. So we thought we'd debrief that a little bit. And then finally, number three, um, how Dang has read the 13 pages of Fed minutes. And the Fed releases these notes after every single meeting that, um, that digs into their meeting. And uh, this is one of the things that we review as a firm, how reviewed that as he always does. And uh, he pulled out some pretty interesting stuff that I thought would be helpful to chat through today. So with that, we will kick us off here. And uh, I'll kick us in with the earnings update. I'll jump in here as well uh, yep. if you'd like to. What I thought I would start with here was that S&P 500 companies, this is a headline from FactSet. S&P 500 companies are reporting smaller earnings per share surprises for the seventh straight quarter as Q4 earnings are rolling in. And this article goes on to talk about how 82% of, this was posted on the February 21st, by the way, so it's two days old, 82% of S&P 500 companies have reported earnings. So that's a pretty good, pretty good number. And those that have exceeded have only exceeded by 1.3%. And so that has come down. The one-year trailing average is 3.7%. The five-year average is a surprise of 8.6%. 10-year average of 6.4%. So what do all these numbers really mean? Well, as we unpack this, really two things. Number one, it's the biggest companies that are influencing these surprises or not. And um, you might be thinking it's all in the technology sector. But there was a reshuffle a couple of years ago in the S&P 500 where the S&P took certain companies, for example, Alphabet and Meta, and moved them to a new uh, sector, communication services. So now these companies are sitting alongside other companies in that communication services uh, space. It's sort of like Netflix was moved as well, and Netflix is now sitting next to you know, Warner Brothers and these other companies. So the communication services sector was a negative surprise, but primarily due to Alphabet's earnings and Meta's earnings. The consumer discretionary sector was a big surprise due to, guess who? Amazon reported earnings. Um, And outside of those two sectors, the overall surprises were uh, Apple was on the downside, Boeing was on the downside, and Goldman Sachs was on the downside. Just a little bit more color here. 
what happened when we look at the historical earnings releases, you had the COVID lockdowns, which clamped down earnings, and of course, earnings crashed. We had a pretty big earnings recession at that point. And then the economy reopened, and you had this massive, massive surprise. So we went from 1% uh, of companies surprising to the upside to nearly 25% of companies surprising to the upside in one quarter when the economy was locked down and then open. And that 25% surprise kept going. 25%, 20%, 15%, 22%, 16%, and then 10, 8, 5, 3, 2, 1.3 is where we are on this current. So yes, we've been declining, but we have to take into consideration the big spike that was COVID. How? What's your reflection on all this as you as you look at the data here? Yeah, yeah. Remember, Chris, when we I made the comment about what are you going to tell me about Apple that the market already doesn't mm -hmm. know? Um, uh, Alphabet, Google has forty one published analysts that follow it so anytime there's a there's an opinion change there there's 41 of them and we're we're talking about top of the top of the class right so to be an analyst for a high profile stock like google you got to be pretty good at what you do and you work your way up there there's 41 of these uh analysts multiple for uh several firms like working in the same firm but forming different opinions independently so so I had a conversation with a friend on how forecasting works in Wall Street, right? Like, like the surprises, right? When you say we're going to make X amount of dollars in the next quarter, 41 of the top-notch analysts, or 50 in this case, sorry, uh, there's 50 analysts for hmm. Google. So there's 50 opinions that average out, hey, this is what Google or Alphabet's going to do in the next quarter. And the market sets a price on that expectation. The surprise there is if they don't meet the expectation, which is going to happen because every time we see uh, an earnings miss or an earnings make, there's a big drop mm -hmm. or a big mm -hmm. pop. Mm -hmm. That's because the baked-in expectations previously haven't been met or they were blown out of the water. So, so a lot of people think that's an amazing component of wall street or the stock markets but it's that's kind of the way it's always been because it's built on expectations and earnings are a chance to either meet or exceed or you know not meet those expectations and i think that's that's what's generally lost in investing when you get earnings because um, the, the reaction is the over optimism from previously or over pessimism from previously where these these really smart analysts can't predict the future either mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and once the future becomes present that's when expectations are either reset or met or whatever the case is then then you get price discovery meaning yeah we, we see 20 percent swings in a day on blue chip stocks recently yeah simply because yeah, the forecasts were thinking 2020 trends were going to continue, and they didn't, right? So all of a sudden, the market resets. Not inherently a good or a bad thing. Like that, you got to look at it from an expectation and forward-looking point of view. And I think what 
we're setting up now is lowered expectations. Very few surprises. And you go back to uh, 2016 and 2018, what followed those those pretty r- relatively rough years in terms of earnings? Um, so 2015, heading into 2016, we had a very similar scenario being set up where earnings were were earnings expectations were slowly being brought down. Mm. What did that set up for 2017? Same thing with 2018, where we had uh, impact of tariffs towards the end of the year, and expectations were brought down because, hey, everything from China is getting more expensive. Mm. What did that set up for 2019, when things weren't as bad as expected? So Interesting. So, yeah, in the stock market, you do have to lower expectations, only to beat them later, but... High expectations are harder to overcome or over to meet and exceed, right? Uh, Amazon was a $2 trillion company. What were they going to do to make it a $3 trillion company? Mm-hmm. What did they have to do to get back to $2 trillion? Mm-hmm. Again, it's all about expectations and what's being priced in for what we think is going to happen. And even the smartest people in finance can't predict the future collectively, right? That's Again, that's part of the job, but... Still, it's it's the stock market's job to find the right price for everything in any one moment. So when when earnings sort of retract like they're doing quarter over quarter right now, and they've yeah. done this in the past, is that what's referred to as an earnings recession? So earnings recession is really more a comparison of year over year because quarter over quarter, uh, if we were talking about Walmart or Target, uh, we're going to compare fourth quarter, which is the holiday season, to, to fourth quarter, other holiday yeah. seasons, yeah. yeah, versus um, let's say it's a summer season. I don't know when their slow season is, but um, you wouldn't compare second quarter to fourth quarter or third quarter to fourth quarter in retail because the seasonality effects. That's why there's always this, comp- depending on, again, depending on the industry. Uh, some are secular, meaning there's no seasonality. It's always get the expectation is always going to move up, like the iPhone or Nvidia's graphics chips, mm-hmm. right? As soon as you don't get that secular super cycle, what we like to call it, then expectations are priced in, and then you see these large gaps down, mm. right? It's not uh, the stair step down; it, it's going to be a line up and then a straight line down because expectations were mm-hmm. reset. But <clears throat> it's unfortunate if you're holding it, but you got to look at it as either opportunity, right? The, the, the market doesn't have any feelings. <laughs> and and what the headlines will say is NVIDIA dropped 20% in a day. Or uh, this this is one we talked about, right, Chris, where Amazon lost the record amount in market value in mm-hmm. a single day. Again, that one should, shouldn't be viewed as a total negative. It's the, the market's repricing something where they think the value should be X, right? If you're holding Amazon, yes, that's that's um, tough to lose, but there's no feelings there. There's this because expectations were too high and it's being reset. Mm-hmm. Can Amazon meet those expectations? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when we go through a period like this, so I think what you were, you were, if I'm picking up what you had said earlier, when we go through something like this, like we did in 2018, then 2019, the year after, was actually a very smooth year. So potentially is that, we don't have a crystal ball, but potentially is that what could be setting us up for here in the next year or two, given where we're going through earnings right now? 
I think this segs into the next topic was the, the no landing scenario okay. where, you know, absent a, absent a recession, which is not a guarantee. I know the consensus basically says there's, there's more likelihood of recession. But, yeah, yeah, what, you're, <clears throat> what we're setting up is uh, um, lowering expectations mm-hmm. and lowering the bar to the point where we could just walk over mm-hmm. it instead of leaping mm-hmm. over it. And I think that's comparing year over year. 2024 is setting up to be much easier to beat 2023 at this point. Hmm. This seems to just go in cycles, right? Because analysts are always like more and more and more and more, does, and yeah. then and then companies miss usually by not not a little bit, but by a lot, and then it gets reset downward yeah. and downward and down, and then it kind of goes back up. So it seems like it seems like this sort of goes in waves. Yeah, yeah. Look at Domino's Pizza today; uh, they're down 10 percent because they they're finally. Not finally, but they've they're experiencing a dramatic drop in their COVID bump because mm. once everyone was locked in their homes, they were buying Domino's yeah. Pizza, and now that the rest of the economy's opened up. I can go out to a, a, a restaurant and not, you know, spend thrift on Domino's Pizza. Mm. And apparently, a lot of people are doing this. So, so if your COVID habits are fading, and they've been fading. And companies like Domino's, who had higher expectations set, aren't meeting those. For the next year, though, let's say they do have normalized growth that isn't COVID bumped, they they would still be viewed as a a positive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially when expectation going forward has been lowered dramatically. Interesting. Okay, so let's unpack this no landing scenario. Like, what? What? what I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you. Imagine you're – this happened to us in, I think, uh, Florida when we went to a cruise where uh, the plane went to land and then it took off again. <laughs> um, so, so kind of a scary moment. But um, you imagine what that means in terms of the economy where uh, they expect it to slow down, but then it just ramps right mm-hmm. up. And it just goes on another run. That's what they're saying about no land. Uh, um, that's in relation to soft landing versus hard landing right now. Soft landing is a is a slow growth to mild recession, down to zero, right? That's pretty mild. Uh, hard landing is a pretty pretty moderate to severe recession, which is the last thing we want. No one can predict these things, right? But we're, what we're seeing in headlines is is the no landing scenario, which I think is another way to add to the number of new phrases that we've seen in the last two years, right? We've seen <laughs> quiet quitting. We've seen what laying, laying flat. Quiet uh, hiring. All kinds of the new, you know, quiet quitting. Yeah, quiet, quiet hiring. hiring. Yeah. yeah, and so now we're seeing um, transitory and and this new one is no landing, which I think is nonsensical because to me that sounds like a soft landing, but it's just a way for um, someone who's been writing about the economy in the last two years. <laughs> to guess again. <laughs> introduce a new, so, new uh, terminology. I thought, a, I thought a soft landing was technically a no recession. You're saying a soft landing could involve a mild recession. Hard landing involves a recession. I guess I thought that would just be the, the dreaded R word, but you're saying that would more specifically yeah. be more deep recession, which would involve you know deeper deeper earnings falls, job cuts, you know layoffs, spike in unemployment, all this kind of thing. Yeah, how I'm viewing it is um, a mild recession being um, 
the technical term, the one on paper where it's two quarters of negative GDP growth, which is just six months of uh, contracting economy. Um, we've experienced that. Yeah, we checked that box what, in a while ago. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> we checked that box. Um, so that that technically is the soft landing where we did get our two quarters of, of uh, <clears throat> shrinking GDP, what, in 2022, 2021? So um, if we were to take off from here and beat inflation, um, we could probably lose jobs, but that's, that would probably require a bigger recession, meaning unemployment's at 3.5%. It would require layoffs the across to get a, the yeah. whole economy, not just the tech sector, because the tech sector... We commented on it's this small. last time. It's, it's actually quite small yeah. relative to the whole economy, and you know the vast majority of our listeners are in that sector. So, of course, that's the one sector that's that's kind of getting affected by all of this. But yeah, uh, even with the tens of thousands of layoffs, it's 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 not even affecting the unemployment numbers. No, and anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot of former top tier tech workers who've been laid off find it find themselves in a position where they're getting multiple job offers so yeah so the 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 next industries i i'll I'll call 1a or 1b they're 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 scooping up this talent Mm -hmm. they're deservedly so because they were probably starving for a lot of uh engineering Mm -hmm. talent prior i've also heard that this has started to pick back up here in 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 february and hopefully into march so i i had heard that in January and towards the end of the year, probably as these companies were prepping these layoffs, that's when a lot of the hiring freezes came out. Um, and so, you know, how can you hire for positions as well as turn around and lay people off at the same time? And so, but I've just sort of yeah. heard that in February, now companies have sort of opened up in there. I think they're deeming it as we're still hiring strategically, right? That's kind of the fancy way of saying we're still filling open roles, but we're still laying off in areas that we, you know, that we, we need to or want to cut. So yeah, and we we both know Chris. That there's there's some people there that are probably their skill set is recession proof. Meaning, right? Google's going to want them. Apple's going to want right. them. Facebook and startups. Want them, to your point. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been there still is quite a bit of demand for that that skill set. All right. So a no landing scenario is inflation slows. Maybe also the number of open jobs slows a little bit because it's just super high. Right. That seems to be the thing that's propping yeah, up the economy yeah. right now. Is that Jobs are plentiful. Money is is easy to get from working, and, and and so spending has been holding up, at least pretty reasonably well until this point. So you know the economy's been humming right along. So this no landing scenario is things are slowing down to sort of where the Fed wants them to, and then they start to pick back up again. Meaning probably the Fed starts to lower interest rates, which then spurs economic activity. Housing market maybe picks up, other forms of debt and whatnot pick up. You know car sales and things like this. And that's sort of this reacceleration. So that's a no landing scenario. Yeah. All right. Which I don't think is the first thing we need. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Arthur Burns got his recession in the 70s and started lowering rates in a rekindled inflation. Hmm. So um, <clears throat> the quickest way to solve inflation is with the recession. We, yeah, we've talked about that so many and, times. Yeah. 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 All right, let's shift over to the Fed minutes. So this was a, a 13-page brief of their meeting, and this is super interesting stuff, actually. 
because of what they talk about behind the scenes. And then they come out with a press conference and they say, yeah. hey, here's what we're doing and here's why. And they basically then open it up for questions. So I'm, I'm maybe I'm the geek here. I'm really excited to have you dive into this <laughs> and give me the Cliff Notes version of what was said here. So take it away. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, it's 13 pages of economic content, so it's not the easiest read. But they, they, they do write in a language where it's mostly understandable. And a lot well, of, uh, how a lot I guarantee of the, you that you're the only person that's reading it. Our listeners aren't, uh, aren't reading this, which is, which is great. Yeah, yeah. That's why we wanted to bring it up because we're, we're hearing and seeing a lot of headlines, right, about, oh, the Fed should do this and the Fed mm-hmm. should do that. And in reading the minutes, uh, going back to 2021, the Fed participants are relatively uncertain about the outcome as well. So if the Fed doesn't know what they themselves don't know what they're going to do, how is any retail investor going to know? How is any finance writer going to know? They don't. So take take those comments with a, head, a grain of salt, even if they're coming in from internal, right? Um, you know, if, if you live through the 70s or the 90s, where they're the last big rate like hike cycles and in early 2010s, mm-hmm. they're all different. Mm-hmm. They're not going to play out the way you expect it to, right? I lived through the 90s and the early early 20-teens uh, hike cycles and different outcomes, mm-hmm. right? Well, in the stock market, actually, both outcomes are really, really favorable, but there's no guarantee of that. Um, and also, to be fair, the 13 pages is mostly copy-pasted from the from the previous minutes to the new minutes, meaning um, the only thing that's notable are the actual changes in the language of of the Fed minutes because I'm not rereading the entire 13 pages because most of it is, actually stays pretty static. Interesting. So so do, do they copy and paste and then they highlight what they changed? Is that how it's... Yeah. Interesting. They, they don't highlight... Well, actually they, actually, they don't highlight what they changed. you got to... You got to punch through, which, yeah, a lot of traders uh, will set up their their algorithms or AI. I know that's been a buzzword lately uh, to to mark those changes. <laughs> so because there's a static approach to it, it's easier to set up an algorithm to say, "Hey, this word changed and that word changed on this this paragraph and this page." Yeah. So there, there, that's what the market's reacting. There's to. a whole there's a whole business in deciphering what that word meant that. Jay Powell yes. said, and, and does that mean this exactly. or does that mean that? And then I trade on it, and then maybe I'm right or maybe I'm wrong. And, yeah, there's a whole whole section of Wall Street that that's all they do. Yeah. Yeah, we're on uh, Pacific time here for our East Coast listeners. So uh, typically the Fed makes a decision at 11 a.m. Pacific, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of the middle of trade. Yeah, right in the middle of the day. Yeah. In 11.01 to 11.10, that nine-minute stretch there's a lot of activity. <laughs> yeah. How can anyone read 13 pages and make a trading decision that quickly? Especially in the first few huh. minutes. Right? And you're So if they're picking out single words, difference from uh, this February report to the January report, one that it's humanly impossible. That's where, where algorithm, algorithmic trading kind of gets ahead of everyone. So one, so the second part is if you're reading... A headline that was published on CNBC, which is, let's let's give them a lot of uh, credit here. Let's say they published that re- 
that that Fed decision by 1130, right? By the time you read it, algorithms have already had a 29-minute head start on you. Mm. By the time Jay Powell speaks by it, I think he comes out at 1130 Pacific. By the time he speaks, the 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 Fed decision has already been parsed mm-hmm. through with the fine-tooth comb. So what are you going to do? Or are you going to pick up that that the computer hasn't already done for these big firms, hmm. right? That's why you'll see a bit of a correction because they, they picked up something that they assumed was a positive signal or a negative signal, right? But sometimes they're right. And for you to keep up with that as a retail, like I'm speaking to retail investors, that's typically who our audience is. It's, it's near impossible. And I think it's a, it's a dangerous game because it's, it's dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And the biggest bias there is you think you know what's going to happen when you really don't. Can we, can we take a quick sidebar to, to unpack some terms there? So uh, we have retail investors. We have then us and what we do for clients, which we are institutional yeah. investors. But then we also have what you're referring to, which is these algorithms and algorithmic trading and this kind of thing. And why don't we just take a moment because I, I don't want people to think that we are the algorithms or we are no, are, not even close. Yeah, yet. so let, maybe let's unpack. So, yeah. so define for us maybe a, a retail investor, and then and then and then us, and then kind of what you're describing with this algorithmic investing. Yeah, yeah, and again, not to paint a broad brush with retail investors because we're we're kind of a foot in with them too, and that's that's normally um, labeled as dumb money, which I think is one of the dumbest labels. Yeah, it's a Wall Street thing retail, because Wall Street's pompous, yeah, yeah. and so they. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and as you might imagine, the institutional side calls themselves of the course. smart money. Yeah, why wouldn't Wall right? Street say that? Again, labels. Yeah. Who cares? I've I know plenty of retail traders that could beat the smart money because they they have less smaller pools they that they need to move around. Right? You can you can beat the market if you if you're smart enough, but small enough. I think is the key. Right? Right. So that that's. That's really what the difference is, is retail. Like, it's not just Robin Hood. It's, it's 401k investors, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, it's anyone who has a pool of money that they're managing professionally or semi-professionally or DIY. It's self-directed, really, right? So yeah, I guess as I think about yeah. that, it's if I can go on Schwab or Fidelity or wherever – I open up a retail account, meaning I just, you know, I plug in my name, my social, my address, give them my bank account. I can open up an investment account and I can go buy a couple shares of stock or an Correct. ETF or whatever I want to buy. That's a retail account. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And on the other side of it, the, the I'm using air quotes with smart money where you got the endowments, the, uh, the pension mm-hmm. funds, the, you know, the sovereign funds, mm-hmm. right? There's... There's hedge plenty funds? of countries hedge that funds, run their own. Hedge funds are in there? Hedge, yeah, hedge funds are in there, and they're most likely the ones using the algor- algorithmic okay. trade. I don't mean to get ahead of you. And Go trading ahead. on yeah. every – yeah. And they're, they're the ones that trade on um, <clears throat> you know, every soundbite that the Fed puts out. And they're obviously reading and parsing over the Fed minutes. So, so if, uh, yeah, the, for us to read the Fed minutes you know, a day after it's published – one, it's already too late. We're again, if you're acting on what you're reading from headlines, you're too late. If you're acting on what you're reading from 
the horse's mouth, which is the Fed themselves, because we we read the Fed minutes not from CNBC or Bloomberg. It's directly from the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. publish, right? We're too late. But that's not the game we're playing. Mm-hmm. And this is the game we shouldn't play because I just kind of set the table for how many better players there are, or at least quicker mm-hmm. players than, than any any of us could be. All right, let me so let me unpack that. So so retail investor, normal investor, uh, you know, normal human being opens up account, places trade. Yep. that's that. We're institutional investors. We when we open up an account for a client um, on their behalf, they have an investment advisory agreement with us that allows us to manage their money on their behalf to a certain risk tolerance, uh, and then we place trades on their behalf and 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 manage manage those accounts. Um, we're also yeah. on what's called an institutional platform which allows us to place very large block trades where we can you know, block trade the entire book of clients that we work with, whether it's a tax loss harvest trade or swapping out of a fund or whatever it might be. And in addition to that, um, we have uh, what's called institutional pricing uh, because of that volume. So if there's a fund yeah. on the retail side that someone's trying to buy and it says, you can't buy this fund, you know, you don't have the you need minimum, the, the, yeah. the $10 million minimum or whatever it is, we can buy that fund, for example, because we're on the institutional platform. We don't have to put $10 million into it. We can put 1000 into it, but it still is on that lower cost share class because of the economies yeah. of scale. Um, and, and then on the last side of that, that's the pension funds, the endowments, the hedge funds, this and that and the other. And how, to your point, the hedge funds are typically the ones that are trying to do this algorithmic type trading. Um, to yep. try to capture little pieces of the market, and it's fundamentally a different business, right? Like they're trying to—they're playing a different playing game. A different yeah. game. They're trying to beat the market. They're trying to call the shots. They're trying to make, you know, a, a huge amount of return over a short period of time, or whatever it is. And, and, and the data might suggest that they—they they don't always do that. But that's what they're trying <laughs> to do. Yeah. Um, whereas we are very, very much buy and hold, asset allocation, meaning you're well diversified. Um, you know, staying invested for the long term. That sort of yeah, thing. yeah, and that's not to imply because we're advocates for for retail investors, and that's not to imply that um, they lack the tools or the the intelligence. They don't, um, but it does. The, well, tools in terms of technology, no one no one can trade in a nanosecond, right, or a millisecond. That's how fast these trades come through. Mm-hmm. Like by the time I press enter or to submit my trade, three or four trades have already zipped back and forth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. By the time yeah. I trade, actually, yeah. So th- that understand what game you're playing, but understand you're not at a huge disadvantage or understand where your advantages are relative to the high speed traders. Right. And I think it's it's a game you probably shouldn't play with Fed minutes. Right. And we'll, we'll break it down here. And you shouldn't. That's what I'm saying is you shouldn't make predictions even when the Fed doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, go, go into the Fed minutes. Um, they, they, the baseline is a soft landing, mild, subdued growth or mild recession, right? That's that's their words. So, there is on the table a d- chance for a deeper recession because when you're raising rates, you don't know what the impact is, right? Eighteen months down the line, which is typically the lagged effect that we're talking about. And we mentioned it before, where I raise rates now, I don't know what that's going to do, right? There's certain industries that have impacted right away, like the car and home in, home home loan industry. But we have to see what other businesses are doing with hiring, right? I know 
Google let go one one or two percent of their workforce. Is is that because of raising rates? I don't I don't quite mm-hmm. think so. That was because of overhiring in twenty 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 one. So that's one part. So uh, unsurprisingly, right, interest rates on credit cards continue to increase. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? They want people to slow down their borrowing and spending. Not the case yet. Mm-hmm. People are still mm-hmm. people are still loading up on their credit card debt and on loan debt. Um, credit card quality, like credit quality, meaning what banks are lending out, remains strong. So well-qualified buyers are borrowing, not not underqualified like in 2007, right? So we're not heading for this great financial crisis because banks have been very smart with their yeah. lending. That doesn't mean, though, <coughs> the, the number of expected defaults is creeping up. That's what the Fed's seeing right now is the number of credit card debt. It, it's actually historically never been higher in terms of baseline. But at the same time, the number of defaults is still below pre-pandemic lows. Is that, an, on the is that inflation side. adjusted? Yeah. When we say it's historically never been higher, is that just raw numbers and that? Yeah, nominal. Yeah, not inflation okay. adjusted. So, so yeah, we're, we're buying less. We're spending more, yeah, right? That's, yeah. Well, what I'm um, saying is we need we need to, you know, if you compare the total amount of credit card debt compared to 20 years ago, I, I would assume it's higher. More people, more inflation, yeah, all that kind of stuff. because money yeah, grows. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly, because money grows. Inflation, so yeah. we would need to inflation adjust yeah. that. Yeah. Correct. Okay. And then on the flips, on the other end of that, where we're seeing deterioration in, in automotive default, hmm. meaning they're above their... 2019 baseline. Those thousand dollar car so we were talking about a few episodes ago. Yeah, that's going to catch up to people, and I think, regardless of price, people have wants, and they they're going to, by hook or by crook, they're going to find ways to acquire that mm-hmm. want. And and we saw it in 2007 where they buy houses they can't afford. I think we're seeing um, a small percentage, admittedly, at this point, buying cars they can't mm-hmm. afford. So we should see an uptick in. Uh, repos, as long as we have enough repo men, to, repo men and women to repossess those cars. God. Maybe that'll fix the used car market. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then um, overall, though, the, the household credit in terms of delinquency is still very strong. That's good. And that gives the Fed some pause about pausing, I guess. Uh, the big, the big language that changed from this month to last month was uh, Fed participants were anticipating uh, an upcoming slowdown in rate increases. So they were incre- slowed down from 75 to 50 to 25 basis points. In ter- other words, uh, 0.25% mm-hmm. rate hikes. How do they slow down from that point? Most likely they'll take a few meetings off and then... Mm. So that was the biggest change. Probably explains some of the late week rallies that we saw when the Fed minutes were initially published, or or we're Thursday, huh? So early week rallies this week, mm-hmm. the week of you know February twenty third. So I think the market is seeing the Fed 
participants softening, but they are data dependent. We're seeing an erosion in credit, which is expected, but it's still slight. Not, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, very slight. So yeah. what I'm hearing here is so people are, the economy's really, really strong. And consumer credit, okay, there might be some cracks there. People are spending too yeah. much money running it up on their credit cards, but... Nothing abnormal. Yeah. Correct. Did they yeah. comment on housing at all? Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, housing, they said re- remained surprisingly resilient. Huh. But again, I think that's there's other forces at work other than interest rates. Yeah. Specifically supply and demand that... Um, and they, they, the Fed themselves, mentioned uh, super core inflation. Another so you, term. So you take services and you strip out housing. Yeah. So super core is actually a Fed-generated term where a haircut, if I go to Supercuts, um, the price of the, the haircut should, they're expected uh, to stay where they mm. are. High, right? Because mm. mm. I don't think Supercuts or Great Clips will lower their haircut prices because... There's no need to. Did the price of a haircut go up? Everyone was that an inflation item? Yes. So that that's what they call super core, the services that that have increased in prices, but probably uh, will have a very low chance of <laughs> going down mm-hmm. in price. So that's what we meant about speeding up on the freeway. Mm-hmm. We're still going fast. The price level is still high. It's a matter of slowing down the rate of increasing speed here so yes unfortunately the price of haircuts is probably here to stay interesting we'll just have to wait right we'll just have to see what inflation sticks and what inflation actually comes down it seems like used cars have come down some of those other goods have come down you know maybe to your earlier point too whenever we get some sort of a recession whether that's here in the near term or longer term Maybe that's finally what will pull prices back down, and including things like haircuts. People might space out their haircuts an extra couple of weeks if they're, you know, not yeah. feeling as financially secure, and so that could then drop prices to ins- to spur that demand once again. So the yeah. longer that well, we all feel, barbers need to respond by by the rent. The rent spaces need to come down too because if they lower their haircut prices, they still have. That space that they need to pay the landlord. Yep, yep. Which is it, which is in. elevated. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole another episode about commercial space and, and and what's going on there. There's been reports on um, returning to work. Yeah. Well, well. Okay, that's yeah. a whole other. Yeah. What I was going to get at was was um, <laughs> in tech-dominated cities like Seattle and the Bay Area, for example, the return to office. Or the occupancy of offices is only about 50% versus if you're looking at a more well-diversified city that has tech and many, many other, you know, it has banking and has pharmaceuticals and all these other things, um, it's upwards of 80%. And so there's sort of this, oh, my God, what happens if it never really comes back in certain cities? And what do we do with all this vacant, vacant office space? And this hasn't really created a problem yet because, you know, these are all leased and may or may not be yeah. sublet, but... When these leases roll off, what happens to those prices? To your point, maybe the prices come down, which would then spur spur that demand again, help the barber out or the shop owner, whoever that is. Um, but that takes a lot of time because these leases are, are locked yeah. in. Yeah, if you're a landlord, do you really want to be in the business of lowering your lease rates and rent rates? Like In the face of inflation, it's tough to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you would tough. if you started really losing tough. people, right? If those businesses aren't paying yep. and you That's the part that takes part time. That's the part that right? takes time. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Thanks for unpacking right. that. That was um, that was good. I mean, the Fed seems I guess they're being objective, but they seem like based on what they're seeing, the economy looks pretty okay. Uh, more than okay, which is giving them reason to continue uh, hikes. And yeah, I think the point of it is really kind of expose some of our own biases where we we kind of make predictions that oh, the Fed's going to do this or that. One, are you a PhD in e- economics or finance, which it's all PhDs on the the um, the Fed roundtable, I sure. guess. So what are you going to know more? And they have access to all the data. Yeah, before so we what, all do. What more do you know than them? Yeah, in your expertise. There's, there's again, it's... I think it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to, one, think you're smarter than PhDs in their respective fields. And if your day job isn't in finance, that's that makes it I'm, – I'm just trying to expose a relative mm-hmm. bias that can be pretty dangerous in terms of investment decisions. Mm-hmm. You just got to recognize that. One, you could probably beat the Fed by sheer luck, right? But I wouldn't try – I would not fight it here. And if they don't know, most likely you don't know. Well, you could beat the Fed, Fed by buying and holding. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, <laughs> yes. And buying, buying when the market sells off. I think that's, I think, yeah. again, we're thinking for the long term, yeah. right? Um, earnings recession don't don't really pay off until the following year, year and a half, right? You had to live through 2015, 2016 to get the 2017. Yeah. You had to live through 2018 to get to 2019. 2020 right? to get 20, back half of 2020 Late and 2020. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> so, and hopefully live through 2022 to get the awesome 2023, right? Only two months in. We're, we still got 10 months left. We've had a powerful rally. Let's just finish positive. That's yeah, my goal. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to ride through it because no one knows when it, this thing will turn mm-hmm. around. Because we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars that need to find a home. And it, it takes longer to steer the ship around. Yeah. Awesome. Well, all right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We post, as you know, every two weeks. So we will be back in two weeks with the next episode for an update on what's going on in Market Vitals and some other interesting news topics that we will cover. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.